Um, but no, tonight we are going to be uh, um, in Matthew chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, got a real beauty of a scripture for us to look at tonight. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48. And now over the last couple of weeks, we've, um, we've been taking a little bit of a journey, a little bit of a detour through Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and then Genesis chapter 2. Um, and um, the overall theme that we've been, we've been hitting over the last number of months is being conformed to the image of Christ. Um, and this, this verse in Matthew chapter 5, I'd have to say to me, has been one of the, the most powerful and foundational verses that talks about what Christ's life looks like when it's manifested in us as his people. Um, and so Matthew chapter 5 is is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And Jesus is talking here about a particular kind um, of love, a love that... um, that is able to um, to think about the other person and, and love the other person even when they're being persecuted themselves. So um, this is a real real massive verse, um, and we're going to start here. And um, there's a couple of others that we might uh, journey through um, on the way tonight. Sweet as, all right. So Matthew chapter five, verse forty three, says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Powerful verse, eh? And if you guys have read through Matthew chapter 5 to 7 before, you would have heard heard the saying, Jesus, he says, you've heard that it was said to you, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So all the way through these chapters, Jesus is constantly saying, you've heard it said. You might have read it in the scriptures. You might have heard someone um, share with you, you know, um, you know to, to love your neighbor. But let me tell you about something that's higher and greater than what you may have heard, seen, or even experienced before. You've heard it says, you, you've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But let me tell you about something that is even greater than that, um, to be able to love even your enemy. So Jesus in these chapters is bringing to light the reality of this new divine life that's only found in Christ. Not just to be able to love those who love you, but to be able to love in a real, genuine and tangible way those who don't care for you, hate you, despise you, persecute you. Um, and, And this is only possible through this 
this life that we've been talking about being conformed to the very image and substance of Christ himself, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Um, so we've got our, um, our panel this evening who's going to rip this uh, passage apart and see what it is that the Holy Spirit wants to, to bring to light through, through these verses. All right, so let's start with the first verse. You've heard that it, well, let's do the first two. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Chris, I don't know if you want to kick us off um, with that verse. Yeah. Oh, there's so much there, <laughs> so many places to go. Um, so it's almost like if I was going to paraphrase that, I would say the tutor, which was the law, told you that this way, but now that this, which is perfect, has come, which is love, this is what love looks like. And it's, it's almost unreasonable. I mean, he says, this is what the tax collectors do. This is what the sinners do. This is what it's cap- you're capable of doing without God in your life, being kind to those that are kind to you. This is normal. But he says, I'm calling you to something which is greater, so much beyond what you're actually capable of doing through your own means and through your own strength. And I love... Um, Oh, maybe I won't get too far ahead of you. Okay, okay, it's on topic. <laughs> it says um, in Romans, If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And I love what Jesus says he's going, he's, he's showing us this heavenly perspective where he goes, Naturally, you have enemies. But in God's economy, we might be, I'll try and say this the right way. He might be our, we might be his enemy, but he's not our enemy, if that makes sense. So we might put ourselves at odds with him the way that we're living through our mindsets, through all of these things, through basically through how we're born, but he never considers us to be his enemy. So even though he says that the way that you are is absolutely opposed to me, I'm turning up and showing you the demonstration of love that trumps all of that and doesn't leave you where you are. Be perfect like your heavenly father is. When you see like the father sees... You live like the Father. Because if he didn't love us like that, what, what hope would we have, right? You know, it says that if, if we being enemies of Christ were reconciled by his Son, yeah. you know, yeah. how much more then now that we have been reconciled will he give us all things, you know? Right. And so that, that's his heartbeat towards us. But in here we are, we are called to that same standard of love yeah. that he has towards us. Now he wants that love not just to be towards us, but to be in us. Hey, yeah, you know, right. so it's massive. What about for others? Just, just testing you. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's it's wonderful how he says, you know, it's it's written. You say love your neighbour, and so we all have a, a perhaps an understanding of that. And then Jesus rocks up and says, "Who's your neighbour?" Yeah. And now portrays. A picture of someone's perception is actually that's an enemy. Where how could you call him a neighbour? And it starts to you know bring this whole lot wider 
to a heart issue and like say Chris you know, it's about you know well the law would say this in fact I, I'd have to have, to have another look because I, I struggle to see where it says and hate your enemies and yet that's naturally what starts to happen yeah. and <clears throat> one thing that you know that is the, the still small whisper of the Lord has been speaking to me about just recently is this Lord you know if I could if I could see my enemy you know big sword, whatever, and a shield, and coming at me, well, I'd know it's my enemy, and I'd be after, well, I love you. <laughs> and, and now I'm being tested to this true nature of love. And, and there is an aspect of that, and I'm not talking about a um, you know, physical enemy with a, a rifle or a sword or whatever, but somebody who's actively against yeah. me. And the Lord just quietly spoke and says, you, you would recognise that Satan is a lot more subtle than that. So there times when we that well, this person is not supposed to. I, I couldn't say this person who is very close to me is my enemy, and yet what is coming against me is perceived, you know, is, is against me. How will I respond? Yeah, you know, the very nature that that Jesus is calling us to respond and to love. It's his nature, it's mm. divine nature, it's you know, the, the, the beauty about agape love or unconditional love. Yeah. It, it's only tested to be unconditional love when you've got something conditional to love over. Yeah. At that point, the true nature that's, that's being revealed when, with inside is that actually I do love. I, my response to you is loving. And it may not be that I'm a doormat. My response may be you know, correction or whatever, but... At the innate position, the nature of God is it, it is love. I'm not treating you like an enemy. Yeah. And I think often, you know, when we like when we talk about this, the, the enemy in this context here, like you're saying, is often a, a whole lot closer to home than someone who's trying to physically take your life. You know, um, that that I think so so often that the enemy is is not necessarily even a person, but it can be an attitude that's coming at you, or the way that you're being spoken to or spoken about by those who are closest to you. You know, and I think it's it's in that. That it really tests the capacity. Is is love being formed in here? You know, are we more concerned about being right or about living a life of righteousness? You know, to be able to love on those who are treating us in an unreasonable way. And I think to me that that's often where the rubber hits the road, and why he gives us relationships so that we've got an environment for this divine kind of love to be formed in us. You know, because to be honest, it's not it's not our it's not generally. It's not our work, that, or you know, that will test that to the. You know, it's it's those. It's the, the the most intimate and closest relationships. Those who we know so well that if if anything's going to come to the light, it's probably going to be in those environments. You know, but that's the very place that God is looking. You know, to to form this nature. In us, where we can love on offence, you know, um, and have a, a, and every time that we're treated in a particular way, have the capacity to respond in a different spirit, you know. Um, so, I love also what what it is that that Jesus is outlining here in his definition of what loving your enemies looks like. He says, "Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you." And for me I see 
I just feel like the word there for that is complete. You know, there's this complete love that he's calling us to. It's not just looking the part. He says, bless those who curse you. So he's, he's speaking to the way that we talk about those that are talking negatively against us. He says, do good to those that hate you. So now he's hitting our actions. How are you acting towards those that are hating you? And then he says, pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. So now he's talking about your inner realm between you and your father. And I feel like it's such a, it's such a complete call to, to a love that isn't partial but complete. He says, this is going to require a divine work so that you can completely do these things. He elevates the standard, eh? You know? Like he takes it just from action to what lies behind the action, yep. the hidden motive of the heart, eh? You yep. know? I remember having a conversation with, with, a, with an old friend of mine, you know, and he, um, he had grown up in a Christian family and had absolutely and totally rejected God in the kind of like the fiercest way he possibly could, you know? And, and these scriptures were the scriptures that he hated the most, you know? He's saying, like, I used, to, I used to be condemned for my actions. And then when I would read things like this, not only am I condemned by God because I'm not meeting a standard, I'm condemned for my, even my motive and my thoughts, God, is now against me, you know? Because he says, don't commit adultery. But then he raises the bar and says, if you, if you even lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already and he's like what like he's like this is supposed to be a god of love and all i read is condemnation i just remember sitting in his room and he's smoking a joint you know (laughs) as, as if he's got you know for him life is all together you know and i was like man but it's but it's in these verses that that actually, like, the, the reality of God comes to light. Because if, you, if he was to just see what, what God is, or what Jesus is saying here, he's not trying to condemn you because now not only can you not act that you can't internally think like that. Yeah. It, what he's saying is, actually, I've got a much greater salvation for you yeah. than, to giant, than to just try and manipulate you into acting in a certain Christian way so that you can look the part. His salvation goes far further than just our behavior. It's able to come right into the inner core and change us in the innermost place so that when we used to hate our enemies, like you're saying, Chris, you know, or used to put up a plastic face with a smile and then gossip behind someone's back, there's actually no God. The salvation is so far reaching that he, that, that there now is no motivation in you to you don't need to gossip to vent you know you're you you are fulfilled in him that you actually see the potential in others not the lack you know and so when you when you come and you you're in your quiet place before God you don't need to to let loose and finally let it out you you can pray for those who are persecuting you because there's been a work that that's gone beyond behavior To, to the very heartbeat and the nature that, that that's in, inside of us, eh? Hey? Yeah. You know? yeah. so, yeah. And a, a starting point for that is recognising. You know, and, and it's easy to to read that and then fall into the trap that you, your friend had. And now I said, Ugh! you know, they're all against me and now God tells me I've got to behave like this. Mm. Like, that's the point. You can't. And it's that point of recognising and saying, Lord, help me. Help me surrender to you that you do this work in me, that this becomes my nature, 
that I don't have to try now and trump what's coming back at me. Um, I, I actually keep my eyes fixed on you, Lord, and that your divine nature becomes formed in me, and I start to recognise, man, this, this is what you're talking about. Which flies in, in the offence of man, doesn't it? So everything God does is to bring you to the point where you realise you, you can't. So we couldn't keep the law, and you can't keep this standard either. And so everything he does is to show you our inability to be able to do what we're asked to do. So you'll actually find him. And only when you find him can you actually live to the standard. You know, and that's love. You know, so he's you know, he knows our state and he knows if we try in ourselves, we will kill ourselves trying, literally. So he tries to get to you as quick as possible, hey, you can't do this. I've done it that you can't do it. But somehow that doesn't stop us trying. Because until that's revealed to you, you're going to keep trying, you'll keep trying, you'll keep trying, you'll keep trying, and you'll keep trying. And, you know, we see a lot of that. You'll see you can join movements of love, world vision, everyone loving. But unless it's divine love, it's not love. It's human love. And it's not wrong, but it's not to the capacity or the dimension or the level that the church is called to walk at. We're called to walk to a higher standard, a higher calling, an eternal one, which isn't temple. Anybody can love. Not everyone can love like Jesus. That's the standard. And when you realize, because where this all sits is in, obviously, the, the, the up the mountain, you know, chapter 5, 6, 7, where Jesus, he hasn't even started yet. So before he, they start, he says, boys, we're going to go up the mountain. Okay, Why take him up a mountain? Because it's a high calling what I'm about to say is a high teaching it's elevated beyond earth it's up here and by the way you can't reach the standard without me so before we even start let me unfold to you a reality that you can't do (laughs) without me and so the very first being attitude defines everything It's why it starts at the first being attitude because he knows that we are not humble of spirit. We want to try. We're going to give it a go. It's okay, Jesus, we don't need you. We're going to build the church. We can do it with everything you've given us. We're going to do it. So you just sit there while we go. It doesn't work. It doesn't, doesn't build the church Jesus builds. It builds the church man builds, and that's an institutional reality that will always keep you short, lacking, and unable to live out. And so while someone's behavior you deem as acceptable, you can love in that out of your humanity, but as soon as their behavior goes beyond what you deem as acceptable, you're ripping their head off, and probably vice versa. So you don't have the capacity in you to love on the behavior that's coming at you, or disagreeing with you, or walking away from you. You see, so this is the church's challenge, because you know you can't. All things are possible with God. And so if it's not in him, it's just our good works. It's our good attempts. As much as we like to think we can, we are conditional. And so the standard of perfect is the mature standard. It means mature. Be mature like the Christ was mature. I'm raising up... Christ-like people. I'm raising up my kind. So that that's not 
the kind of Greg, that's the kind of Christ. You know, so it's not a kind of Chris, a kind of Sam, a kind of Greg, and a kind of Paul. It's a kind of Christ. So if Christ is the model, Christ is the example, we'd better be in Christ, otherwise we won't be a kind of Christ-like people. We'll be four individuals with four different identities going four different ways, thinking we've got it. Not able to do what I'm commanded to do. That's why he said to the rich young ruler, how do I inherit eternal life? Ah, keep the thing you can't keep. No, wrong answer. No right answer. Keep the thing you can't do, the thing you need me for. And then he addresses his heart issues and the man runs away because he doesn't like that reality. He's going to try another way. So, And if we could, if we could just keep this in our natural, normal ability, there would be absolutely no need for Christ to have come, die, be resurrected and pour out his Holy Spirit. You know, there'd be no reason for the gospel or, or any of that, you know. And so, uh, t- to me, it's... it's we would. We've had how many 2,000 years of human history to be perfected, hey, you know? See, and this, this is where all the rest is, guys. So the rest is in the inability to do it. That's where you find the rest. You cease, you enter into his rest, and you cease from trying to live a standard that you're never going to achieve. It's crazy, isn't it? That sounds back to front, doesn't it? How can rest be fine there? Because you, it's, he is the rest. He is the Sabbath rest. So as you enter into Christ, as you go behind the veil and enter into the Sabbath rest, God didn't need a break. He didn't need to take a day off because he did everything from rest. He wasn't tired after he created creation. So we're not to be either because the Sabbath rest isn't a work. It's not a physical work. It's a spiritual reality in you that repositions you and enables you to live from Christ. So you're not try- I'm not trying to change Luke's behavior. I'm not trying to love Luke. I don't go, oh my goodness, this is making me. No, love just comes out of me for Luke because I've entered into rest. I've entered into a Christ-likeness, a depth behind the veil that enables just love to come forth and then minister the Father's love to Luke. That's incredible that the church is to minister the same love that Jesus administered to you and I. And we can. The greater we're in Christ and we've relinquished the control of our lives and the spirit of humility lives within us. And when you know you're doing it, but you know it's not you, it's incredible. When you know that the person coming at you or whatever's happening, whatever that is, and you can say they don't deserve this, but they do deserve it because it's Christ, do you know what I mean? And they have no concept of it. See, this is the other thing, is that when you love people and they have no concept they're being loved, they, you're not loving me, and you know you're loving them. But they don't think you are. If you love me, you do this. No, I'm loving you. And the ability to then stay loving and loving when they don't know is a powerful reality that you know is not you, but it's someone in you. And what you're doing is you're giving that person the opportunity that Christ gave you to find a reality they don't even know exists. And if you walk away, the opportunity walks with you. But you don't walk away because you realise in Christ he's given you the same opportunity and because you're in Christ you can. 
changes your perspective, doesn't it? Well, it's you a whole different perspective, eh? Yeah. You see differently. And, and for me, I think it's so uh, close to faith in the sense that it, it has a different sight attached to it, where you go from thinking about yourself and about how you should be treated or your rights or whatever it is that you want or deserve to seeing beyond that, you're actually no longer part of the equation. You, it doesn't even matter. And you can see a person and go, I, I can even see beyond this behaviour. I can see the hurt, potentially, and I can see that the Father's heart, I feel the Father's heart for you in this moment where he's just looking at a child that's wounded and hurt and scared or whatever it is, and it can always look different. But I, I feel like one of, the, one of the pictures of this love that, or the words around this love is that it's so freeing. It's so liberating. Because now you're no longer bound by a person's behavior. You don't need to respond. You get to, to love on this. And whether they recognize it as being love or not actually doesn't define you and doesn't control your behavior. So it's so liberating that this is, this is a freedom beyond the earthly freedom that we think that we want, where I want to be free to do whatever, drive where I want or buy what I want, God's like, how about being so free that you can love regardless of however you're treated, that no one controls you because love controls you. Yeah. And so you're not loving defined by the outcome. Yeah. See, that's conditional. Yeah. And that's what happens. That's how you know. If you love expecting something back, that's conditional love. Yeah. That's not the Father's love in you. See, so this is the oneness that he wants to bring. Christ, Christ said, Father, you and me, I and you, we and them. So you become in fellowship with the Godhead. So the same love that's in them that's loving mankind is you're loving mankind with because it's now in you. Okay? So you don't love on outcomes. Well, I'll love you as long as you... <laughs> that's not love, guys. That's conditional human love. This is a love that you won't find on earth. You won't find in another person unless that person is in Christ. So it doesn't have any favorites. And this is why I'm able to love these guys like I love my children. It's the same love. See, it's not like I know my children, say, maybe more. And I have a greater intimacy with my wife than these guys. Thank you. But the love is the same. Not your team. <laughs> Look, do you want to confess tonight, Greg? <laughs> well, we were talking about dreams, so. <laughs> All right, no, we don't want you to unpack your dreams tonight, mate. Okay. I, know what, I know what you're saying. <laughs> okay. yeah. I'm with you. Back on so, track, mate. Back on track. God's love has no favourites, does it? He loves the non-Christian as much as he loves the Christian, does he not? Right, so he loves the sinner as much as he loves the son. When you get infected with that love, because that love is Christ and Christ is in you, you start loving the same way Christ does. So you don't look at your child and go, I have all this love for my child and I have no love for this guy. It's the same love. That's why he's saying, if you love another more than me, you're not worthy of something because your affection, your heart's been given to a person, not me. And so you won't be able to love people like I love people because I'm not basing it on whether they're good or bad, ugly or not, sinner's son's color. I'm basing it all on who I am, which is love. And when that love, which Jesus said, I will make your name known to these men and I will continue to make your name known so they can what? Have the love that I have in me in them. So the love in which you love me, Father Jesus is saying, will be manifested in them. 
And when that kicks off, see, that's a church that loves one another that's one, and a lost world knows Jesus was sent. Why? Because the love coming out of the church is Christ's love. Tell me you don't want more of Christ's love. Everybody's wired for it. It's unconditional. It's not based. And that's why when it hit me, it killed me. I surrendered to love. The love was so incredible. It's like, how can I? No, I've, I, I'm performance. Like, you know, I did this. I said I'd do this. You did this. You kept your end. I didn't. And six times, how does this work? This doesn't work. This isn't right. This, he goes, yes, it's me. And you surrender to love. And love just comes and just literally chokes the life out of you, the old life. And you break in the arms of love. Not law, love. Not rules, love. And then that gets in you and it's intoxicating. It's like, <sighs> this is where the praise comes from because it's like I've experienced a love that's, my dad loved me, but not like this. And so you're able to minister this and this grows because it's not just a one-off hit. This is to grow, be perfected in love. And why? So you can walk in the manner in which Jesus walked. This is 1 John 2, 3 to 6. It's all there. It says, the one that says you keep my commandment and don't, you're a liar. But the one that keeps my commandment, know the Lord, and the Lord, the love of the Lord will be perfected within them. You see, he's saying you can't keep the commandment. So if you tell me you know me and don't keep the commandment, I know you're lying. You might not know you're lying. I still love you as a liar. But you're not in life that I've called you to live because only through knowing can you keep the commandment, the real commandment, which is unconditional love, loving like Jesus loves. So we've got an opportunity while we breathe to experience not just God loves me, to receive the substance of love in you. That's two different realities what I've said there, guys, okay? We could probably all go, I know the Father loves me, but have you received the love of the Father through power, the substance of Christ and the Spirit that's in you that then comes out of you for another? Because it's two-way. You abide in me, I abide in you. You will have much love, much of my love in you coming out of you to love mankind. And that's what the world desperately needs is a church that's in love, and is able to love. But until we're in love, we can't love. You see why it's not the Great Commission, it's not number one? First place, first place. Unless you're in love with me, with all you are, you can't be in love with the world. What does it say? Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. So if you think that, that's the filter. How would I want to be loved when I screw up? With a rocket, with a fist, with a smack on the back? How would you want to be loved when you mess up? Think about the times you've messed up in your life and think about how you would want to be loved in that moment. Someone telling you how badly you got it wrong, bringing shame, guilt. Or would you want someone to come beside you and say, you know what, that's okay. Because there's a greater reality. Let me show you a greater reality you were called for. Rather than address the issue, they address the promise rather than the problem. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, what, what, what? Because that's how you would want to be loved. So that's what it says. But unless you're in love, I can't love Sam like that. 
It's impossible for me. I'm coming short of that standard. But in Him, and only in Him, can I meet that standard and fly. Be perfect like you have not He's not. He's not kidding. He knows it's possible. See, God has made the way. He's gone behind the veil. He then says, church, come follow me into the Holy of Holies. Only once a time, one year, could one man enter this place. Now it's for the entirety of my people to enter into this place. The, the problem is there's many still priests still ministering in the outer courts who should be in the inner court because they don't know about the inner court reality. So we've got to teach it. We've got to prophesy. We've got to preach this reality that's available that you're hearing right now because otherwise you'll be an outer court minister like the Old Testament when you should be an inner holy of holies priest because that's here. That's massive, eh? And I think all of, a, all of a sudden, love is not about, has nothing to do with the person or the situation in front of you, but everything to do with who, who you've become in him, eh? You know, and I think it, that's, they're two like, polar, polar opposite things, you know? Just as you're sharing, Greg, to me, it's like, you know, like, like Chris um, shared at the start, we all have a natural human capacity to be able to, um, to, to be able to treat people well to a measure, you know. And you can have, you know, people that are non-Christians can be incredibly nice people, you know. But what he's calling us to is is something that's above that, eh? You know, because I think natural love, because it's limited has to define certain people and certain relationships that it focuses on because it doesn't have the capacity, it isn't love itself to be able to love every person, every situation, 100% of the time, all day, every day, you know? But it needs to focus its, its, its attention on set relationships, my kids or my wife or my sport. And because there's no ability to... Um, it's it's not full. It's limited. But when you when love is formed in you, you're opened up that it's not defined by the person. It's who you are, and because it's who you are, you're the same in every situation. And to me, when it says that God is love, love isn't something that He does. Love is who He is, and because He is love, He can't not love us in every given situation at every point in time, regardless of whether we get it right, whether we get it wrong, whether we're mature, immature. Regardless, He can't not love us because love is who He is, you know. And that's to me, it's when when that kind of love and that revelation, knowledge of who He is, touches our hearts. It completely separates us from needing to perform to be accepted, because love doesn't isn't administered on that basis, you know. If He is love, He loves us in every situation, regardless of how we behave, you know. And when that love is formed inside of us, we receive a new kind of capacity, a different kind of perspective to be able to administer that love, regardless of the other person, hey, you know. And so it's a high calling, you know. It's a heavenly calling that we have as the body of Christ to be able to live like this, you know. And it's not based on personality or how good we are. It's not based on any of that. It's not based on whether you are a gentle, kind, good-natured person. Because if it was, there would be what would be the purpose of, of any of this? You know, there'd be some who would be 
destined to be awesome and others who wouldn't and let's may, may as well go home you know but but the message of the gospel is that this is based not on any human ability but on divine power you know to anyone who believes and and is empowered by the spirit has that that now a new um, horizon a new capacity in him to be able to love like this but like Greg was saying, we have to be able to receive that love to be able to administer that love. It's, it's, not, it's not one, it's two, which really is this position of one that we've been talking about all along. You know? so, yeah. At the well on Wednesday night, just gone, we looked at the two trees. And we looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we looked at the tree of life. And this is you know, just another way of saying the same thing. It's like... The tree of the knowledge of good and evil produces a knowledge. And the tree of life produces a knowledge. So there's two types of knowledge. But only one produces life. The other one is good and evil. So as we eat, from, we've all eaten from the tree of which tree? The knowledge of good and evil when we were created. That's the tree that we're from. We're from the root system of that tree, so we're fallen beings, fallen from the tree of life, which is the tree of revelation, which is Christ. Well, we can continue to eat from that tree, and this is where good people comes from. We all think we're good. He says, why are you calling me good? No one's good. You're all evil. Until you actually start receiving from this tree. You know, get rescued from this tree and into this tree. Get rescued from this kingdom into this kingdom. But just because you're in this kingdom, you can still be partaking of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. So you see all these good works, but it doesn't mean you can live like Christ's life. They're different trees. And you need to make sure you're eating from the right tree. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Otherwise, you have no life in you, which means you can't manufacture or manifest out of you. Love me. Because you're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the knowledge, it's all based on knowledge, isn't it? Knowing, not information, the true knowing through revelation that we carry as the church. The truth, Jesus Christ, makes us free. So if I'm still eating from the wrong tree, I can do good things, but they don't produce life. Because the root system is dead. The root system of the tree of the knowledge of good in it is dead. Hence it doesn't produce life. The roots of this tree is Christ because he is the tree. I am the vine. And this is the hoodwink. And this is why we think it's just about good works because can, anyone can do good works. Anyone can love to a human standard and do good works. The Mormons. The, look, let's be honest. Some of the non-Christians are nicer people than the Christians. They're more kind. They're more generous. They're more, they're more helpful because it's not based. That's based on personality. That's all based on the person themselves. We're talking about based on something that's a spirit. See, but we're all born flesh. So we're talking about another realm, another reality that no one can enter into unless you are of that realm, that person, the spirit. And so once again, everything you see is there's, these, there's two knowledges, there's two trees, there's two apostles, there's two prophets, there's two teachers, there's the real, the counterfeit. It's all set up on these twos. And you go, well, which one am I actually partaking of? Because only that tree, the divine tree, produces the divine love that enables this divine love to be ministered in and through me. But I know it's not me, but I'm the vessel that is full and overflowing of a wellspring 
of love. And what this does, man, you, you, there's only one way to find this, and this is on your face seeking. It's, and it's not a five-minute prayer. This is a lifestyle. I, I've come into 22 years of life through seeking, desiring, asking, knocking, being hungry, thirsty for righteousness, not allowing anything to get in the way. Because it's so important. It's more important than life itself, this stuff. You know, because it's not only for this life, but it's for the age to come. Everything that's happening now is going towards the age to come. And so it's, man, we've got to be apprehended and arrested by this love. And that's where it all starts. Yeah, the love is is unconditional, but if we want to enter into the fullness of life in Christ, so if you want to enter into this life, the promises, the reward, that's when it becomes conditional based on obedience. So God loves you and me in our disobedience. That doesn't change his love. So if you're disobedient or obedient, it doesn't alter his love because like Sam said, he's just love. He loves on the righteous. He loves on the unrighteous. He shines on the righteous. He shines on the unrighteous. So it's never behaviorally driven. But we're not talking about that now. We're talking about reward. We're talking about receiving the promises. That is all based on your obedience and your faithfulness to come under love and to live a life of love. But it's still motivated and empowered by love. Okay, so obedience... The number one thing of obedience is to be activated, sorry, motivated by love, activated by faith. So our obedience is to be motivated from receiving love, activated by faith, okay? Because of what you're seeing. If we're not in that level, then the next tier down is this, is that our obedience is motivated by discipline and activated through trust, Right? So if we're not in that level of love, we want to come into that's the goal. We want to reach that Holy Spirit. Get to me this place where everything I'm doing is motivated because I love you. I'm so in love with you. Why wouldn't I want to obey you? And then it's activated through faith, the ability to see what this is. Yeah. So if I'm not yet there, am I, am I growing? That's cool. So then it's about, well, I want to be obedient. Because I remember, disobedience doesn't get me anywhere. So I want to be obedient. I have a desire, but I'm not necessarily in the fullness of love. Okay, so I need to, I need to discipline myself. The father disciplines sons he loves. So there's a discipline aspect, and then it's activated through trust. And then hopefully in time, that transitions to the top. And if we're not in that, we're in disobedience. And if we're in disobedience, then he tells you, I don't reward you for disobedience. Very clearly, obedience... Blessing, disobedience, curse. And we get in trouble, but we don't, sometimes don't want to relinquish, so we want to be disobedient and get what we want. And that was me. I want to do it this way and get all the fruit. <laughs> I want to have it all. It's called I want my way. God says, well, it doesn't quite happen like that. But. And it's natural in a family, right? You know, that when you've, you know, as a father, to me, with, you know, with Levi, 
There, I, there is nothing that he could do that would stop me being for him in every way. But his response in the family will determine some particular things, you know, and particular, you know, particularly what, you know, as he's growing up, some of the privileges that he has, some of the responsibilities that he's given, and so in this heavenly family, it's exactly the same. The father's love is absolutely unconditional for us. That no matter what we do, is never going to change him from being for us, you know. But our response to him. Is going to, is going to mean that there's some things that will be conditional, you know, um, and I think that that's that that's what Greg's saying. You know, it's a two it's a two part picture. We need both. We need to know the unconditional love of the Father and respond to that love, so that we can enter into um, the reward, the promise, the the greater things that He has for us. So, good good question. Is there? Oh, I was going to say. After, you, you, should. you want to say something, Paul? I just had this, and then we'll do one. And then we'll do questions. <laughs> I just had this picture of how how massive this calling is. So, the way I see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is that they love each other more than they love themselves. They're more concerned for each other than they are for themselves. You know, Jesus came to do the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit's come to reveal Christ, and it's the Father that sends the Holy Spirit. And so we have this Trinity where each being in this trinity can confidently say that they are one because they're more concerned for each other than they are for themselves. And this is what a marriage is supposed to be. I'm supposed to be more concerned for Bella than I am for myself. And if I can love like that, then she can confidently rest and not having to worry about herself and begin to love me in that regard as well. That's why it's actually not conditional on her behavior. This is this unconditional love. And I just, just as, as um, we've been talking, I just remembered um, Christ's call. Um, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another like I've loved you. And I, and I feel like that is the greatest call because it's, it's a greater than your self-call. It's more than love me like you love yourself because Christ loved us more than he loved himself to death and that is beyond impossible but that is what we're invited into because for us to be the bride of Christ we're called to be that to be loving others and our husband greater than self and so we're invited into this holy union where we're these beings of love cannot help but love greater than self. It's a high call. It's massive, isn't it? And this is this is why it's such a huge topic. That to to actually we've been talking about this for years. Yeah, you know, we talk about you know God is love, and then we look at Corinthians and says, well, this is what love is. This is what this love is. This is who He is, and that we become, we grow in our maturity. We we become partakers of the divine nature of God. Well, what is the divine nature of God? If God is love, then this whole expression of what love is becomes ours. And it's, it's such a spiritual love that it's not physical. And then we're pressed to the point. And what I, look, I know from personal experience, what gets in the way? The original sin. There's a sin that so easily entangles. And it's called pride. 
And the pride has to be smashed. I mean, we would ask the question, Jesus asked it, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, of course I do. Right, got my sword, we're off. And now I'm going to challenge that. Christ, he is so patient. Knowing Peter's nature and his state, tells him to take the sword and then leads him into the garden for Peter to have revealed to him his very heart and knows that this love I profess for you, I actually don't. And this is where we're confronted with a mirror. When we look, and if we look in Corinthians, when he talks, talks about this is what love is, and I'm looking in the mirror and go, that is or isn't what is in me. This is a nature that's formed in me. And then he may give us, and I love what you're saying about you know, these aspects where he puts us in to reveal our actions will reveal what's actually within me. You want to know what I believe? It's what I'm doing. And if I recognize what I'm doing is not aligning with this, I'm the one who has to own this. And sometimes because he is, his heart is so loving and there's so much he has for me, for you, that he has to take me to the garden for me to see in the mirror, that's not you, Lord, that's me. And there's this place of breaking that takes place. Look, it may be different for everybody, but I know there's this place of absolute brokenness that is given over to him where he's going, that's great. Let me come in. Let me do this work in you, and I will build you. What you think you have built, that's smashed. It's It's not me. Let me build you. It's a beautiful, beautiful word. And the, the, you know what you're saying about resting. Resting in the fact, I can't do it. You're doing it in me that I'm now confronted in situations where, hang on, I didn't build this, but this is what is actually coming out of me. This is how I know it's his work. It's beautiful. But this, this, this question, Peter, do you love me? That's confronting, man. It's very confronting. And when we know, I mean... Jesus loved everybody, yet he took a whip up. So it doesn't mean going around cuddling everybody. There's times when it's very confronting because I love you. I need to stir this up so that you can see what's happening in your life. And can you recognize, and unless the Spirit is moving in your heart and there's this posture of humility, you know, I love what you shared the other night about the, the, the chickens, you know, that's so. Hadn't, hadn't been fed or watered, and they became so hungry and so thirsty, they found every which way to escape out of the chicken coop to get to the water. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not, well, you know, I'm a little bit peckish, but I'm pursuing, like you are saying, Greg, earlier, this, this pursuit after love that's so consuming me. Oh, man, I'm climbing through, and I'll squeeze my way through that little hole <laughs> to get to what you're after. As a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. You know, a deer makes itself vulnerable by getting out and getting down in a stream to drink. I make myself vulnerable because I, I hunger after you. And that's your promise. Your, it fulfills the promises that this divine nature has formed within us, this love. And you come to know. I know this love. I don't know about it. I know it. It's ours for the taking. And receiving. Cool. Any any questions? Any burning questions or?
things that, that have popped up that you want further clarity on? Absolutely. I think, the, the co in my mind, the covenant is an expression of the love and the devotion that, that he has for us and that we're to have for him. You know, Like when Tess and I did our vows, which is our covenant, it's sitting on the wall. But really, it's, it's the, the covenant that was made is putting words and defining what it is in me that's for her and, and her that's for me, you know? And so... Absolutely, you know the the covenant represents, you know, the the kind of love that he has for us. So that's cool. Any other questions or any key thoughts? Do you guys want to just um, bring this in and relate it to the overcomers who overcome by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lord and that they love not their life under death? I think... Um that man's challenge is himself. And um, you, you can't attempt... The worst thing we could do now is to go and try in our own strength to try and love and to try and act and to try and do this. Okay? Because that's what's natural to us. So we're poisoned with ourselves, this thing called sin... And unfortunately, it's the consequence of the fall. So we're unable to do what we need to do. We're unable to be the overcomers we need to be. Um, we're stuffed. <laughs> the um, Good night. See you. <laughs> <laughs> Our job is done. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we really are. We are incapable That's right. of living the life we're called to live. And, and um, we have to actually realize that through revelation because there's nothing in me that enables me to overcome the world, the flesh, the enemy. Me, in the sense of my old nature, is that. 
I am the world, I am the flesh, and I'm demonic. So I can't overcome that because that's that whole thing around, you know, you cast the devils out by bills above. It's like, what are you guys talking about? I'm in a whole different reality. And, and so it's, this comes back to, and you have to be prepared to look at the reality of what you think you really know. You have to maybe go right back and go, you know what? And, this, and you have to be okay with this because you have to know God's covering you. Because this can be quite unearthing to actually go back and go, did I just, did I just believe what my parents said? Did I just believe what I've been brought up with? So I don't really know any difference. So I've just bought into something that someone else may or may not even have had a reality of, but it's a good way to live because it's a good life to live a moral code. And this is the challenge for every single human being because this is how religions get started. This is how rules are implemented. This is why people look at the church and go, I don't want to borrow that because it's dead. It's raised, and I've used these words before, it's raised with Christ but not in Christ. Well, that's a plasticated version of in Christ. It, it, it paints you up so you know some stuff, but you're never going to be able to live out what we're talking about tonight because you don't have it in you. It's got to get in you. It can't be outside of you. It can't be in your head where you go, well, I mentally agree with everything I read. That's not it. That can't be it. So we're back to this thing called the gospel. Not what Jesus, the words of the gospel, but the work of the gospel. Because, remember, we're all over this side of the fence, and this is pitch black, and it's dark, and we're destined for destruction. And then this power comes and shines into the earth. So I'm just talking one John. The darkness and light comes in the form of the sun. And enters, but the darkness did not comprehend him. And he came to enlighten every man and transfer, or the Bible says rescue, out of and into from power, not through even a mental agreement, through power. So it's like, it's, yeah, I think Sam said this morning, sometimes the movies do it way better. It's like, you're in a realm is almost getting transported into a realm and you arrive going, what just happened? And you have a substance in you that you've never had in you before, not because you read a book, but because someone did a work in you. Okay, Philippians 2.13. God is the one who does the work for his good pleasure. So you're catapulted and propelled in you into a reality that you didn't figure out. And so it's from this place, because I received the gospel through what? Word, power, Holy Spirit, full conviction. Not just through someone saying it or my mum and dad telling me, and I made a mental agreement of yes, which is still not wrong. It's true. Yeah, I believe Jesus died and rose again, but that doesn't alter my life. So it's got to alter your life. You can believe that someone who doesn't know Christ is spending their eternity away from God, but it doesn't actually make you want to go share the gospel with them. But you can believe that. So you can believe many things in your mind and not be changed. The gospel changes you. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ will change you and it does the work that performs and perfects you into the very image. And so you're able to live like Jesus Christ lived. So we have to ask ourselves, what gospel did we receive? Are we receiving? Will we receive? And that's the challenge. And what I've seen when you start preaching like this is people start getting all afraid. And you've got to deal with that because not looking at this stuff keeps you bound up. And so you go, well, I'm afraid to look at it, but it's the way to life. Because you've got to know he's covering you. I've called you. I love you. They didn't have a clue who he was when he said, come follow me. And so he's going to take them on a journey, which is what Paul is saying. So he's taking us all on a journey. But the challenge is they thought they probably did know him. They thought they had it all figured out. And so he's got to lead them, covering them. This is why love covers a multitude of sin. So he has to cover you while he uncovers you. And you've got to be prepared to be uncovered. So the whole overcoming thing, we'll never be an overcomer until we actually go through a process and are in the true gospel, which is a gospel of power, which is a resurrected gospel that takes you from being dead to life and then continues to bring you into a life of abundance, not through your smartness, not through your cleverness, not through the wisdom of man, but through the power that saved you is the same power. And this is why we need to need the Holy Spirit. See, it's like a person. I need to know him. Like, I mean, really know him. Like, really know him. You know, like, because he wants to teach me. He's going to open up a realm and lead me here and here into this unseen realm, like I spoke about this morning. So, what does it say? The blood of the Lamb. And that's where we start. What does that mean, guys? The life is in the blood. Unless you drink my blood, you have no life in you. Yeah, but I believe what you did, you die. Cool. So I'm justified, but that doesn't mean the blood is pumping in here. Do you know what I mean? In a way that's changing you. It could be you've received, but it's like it's got to this blood because life is in the blood. Okay, so it's the blood of the lamb, which what does that do? Creates the power of a testimony. Not just the day I got saved, let me testify of by the life-changing work of the blood that it's continually doing within me. Okay, It's not a one-off, it's testimonies. So as I continue to drink the blood, eat the flesh, I've got continuous testimonies of being transformed on the inside. And everything I'm seeing, eating, able to live. Because I'm eating the right food, eternal food, John 6, don't work for food that perishes. What's the food? It's me. I'm the bread of life. He's constantly saying, I want to do a miracle so you can come and eat me. And we go, yeah, well, we've already got you. And now we're looking for this other stuff. He goes, no, it's me. And so you partake. So you've got the blood of the lamb. You now have ongoing testimonies. And what does that mean? You don't love your life unto death. But it's a circular thing. It starts at the blood. But the blood is a resurrected power that raised Jesus from the grave. And 1 Corinthians 6.14 says that same power is going to raise me. So it's an experience. It's not something that you intellectualize. It's not something, and this is what unfortunately the church has done, is we've tried to intellectualize a person that we need to know. We've tried to intellectualize things like history and culture and the ways of the Jews and the these and the these and the this and the that and all these things. And we leave the person out. 
those things only have life through the lens of the person. It's like the Sabbath. The Sabbath only has life if you're in the person. Having a day off doesn't bring you into spiritual life unless you're seeking on that day off. It's not about a day off. You can spend more time worrying about what you're not doing on your Sabbath. Oh my goodness, I'm not doing this. I'm, not, I'm supposed to be relaxing. No, it's a spiritual resting that stops you from your own works, which was within you. And this is the thing. And it's, so it's like, but man, we, we don't want to go there because we live in fear. And we can't be afraid. We've got to go, okay, so I, I grapple with this stuff all the time. It's like, I read this. And I think I've shared this with you. Unless you love me, you're not worthy. Like, for me, that causes a fear, a healthy fear, to check myself and go, do I love my wife, my kids, you guys, my sport, myself, more than you? And, you know, you can hoodwink yourself in that. And there's also the reality of that, that you know that you know. And you go, right, we're sorted on that one, cool. And it's not like, but it's, it's because there's life behind that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if, if I'm loving my wife more than him, then how am I going to love her like he loves her? I've got to be loving him to love her. Which means I can't love my kids the way he loves my kids because I'm loving them, they're first. So we're back to this first. What's first? What's first? Well, I started first in darkness. And so it's, we're down to this, it's the power of the gospel thing. And it's outside of our, I wish, God, I wish I could give it. I really do. I wish it, I don't, but I do. Take that pill. Bang. Way. We're away. You know, but it doesn't work like that doesn't work like that. We all arrive at different places and times and we go through our journeys and, and we go through different things but all of a sudden there's oneness. And you talk and you hear the say, yep. And so I don't know if that helps but you know. Yeah. And it's on all of us to seek him, eh? you know. And I, like, I know for me what that looked like was, was hearing something that when we're talking about things like, like love, it was hearing things that were so much bigger than what I knew, you know. And I just remember times of being like, "Man, God, I I've got no I've got no clue how this is going to go from being here to to being here, you know. I I I just I've got no idea how that is even possible or is even going to happen, you know. And I and I think to me it's like, but there was something in me that was hungry to know, you know, and I think like for, for all of us here, all, all being in, in, in different, like different positions and different places in our relationship with him, but I think for, for all of us, there's, there's more for us to enter into a eh? that requires humility and a humble and a hungry heart to seek and ask that he would reveal in us a greater dimension of who he is, you know? And he's faithful to, to do what it is that he promises he'll do, eh? I thought that was a really good question, Sandra. And I um, just while you were asking that question, I was just before that I was thinking, I wonder. And this is a personal question that I'm not really going to get anyone to answer now. But can we each give testimony to this love in our lives, this love of God that 
is greater than our own capacity. And, it, you know, you, when you read it and Jesus says, bless those that hate you and, and love like this, it sounds, it's really clean. You know what I mean? It's a do this, do this. It, it can sound like that, but in my own life, when I've experienced this, it's not clean. It actually involves the death of self because he's calling me beyond something that I naturally have capacity with or for and showing me something greater. And that's why I love what Greg was saying, that this is something that we experience in a moment, but we're to grow in this kind of love. And oftentimes it's confronting because all I feel like I really have in a moment when I'm confronted by his invitation is the capacity to say yes or no. All I've got is a choice. Will I say yes to what it is that you're inviting me into, which in this instance is to love beyond what it is that I naturally would say yes to? And and thank God he's so good to, to lead us into more and to equip for what it is that he's calling us into, which is himself. He equips us with himself. He, he infuses himself. And, and I feel like I could give a couple of a really good examples where... Um, and I won't for the sake of time, but where he's gone, this is you, this is what you want to do, and this is what love looks like. And I'm in the middle going, oh. you know, and, and thank God for the, for the heavenly sight that goes, your way isn't love, but this way is love. And I feel like, you know, tying that into your question, Sandra, that is not loving your life unto death. I will choose what you're calling me into, God, even if it kills me, because it's, it's life. It's not the life of the earth, but it's the heavenly life, and you've made a way for me to even say yes to it. Would you say that choice is a choice that's out of... You know, we talked about obedience, and so the choice is then out of a discipline, because I'm not yet in something that becomes innate. I feel like it, I wouldn't say that it's, I don't know if I understand discipline the same way as you, but I feel like it comes from a sight of something greater than what I have, but there's an invitation to it and it's like an open door. Right, so you have to make a choice. I have to make a choice for sure. it, yeah. Yep. Have, you, have you been in a situation where you don't actually choose, you just act? Absolutely that as well. So so I feel like, and that's why I love what you're saying about this can happen in a moment. There's this transaction where you go, I'm loved. I'm absolutely loved. And we have this this love of God that goes, man, I can, I can love beyond myself because of what's taken place. And there's the confronting moments where we're still exposed and it takes this this lifestyle of repentance and a continual ability to go while I have this you're you're growing this this That's isn't right. isn't fully mine by default you know and it, you know it's beautiful because it's it's growing revelation because um you know, some beautiful pictures of the um of the temple and how the structure of the temple looks about me you know these porticos and uh, recesses within the temple where the priests were offering sacrifices to foreign gods to idols and yet they go into the holy of holies and offer to god well mm, where's the deep recesses and porticos in my own heart and my own life where i think i'm right but i'm actually hiding things so i'm i'm living a life that's sacrificing to idols and not to you and so that place of god revealing i think i was right it wasn't talk 
the thing he's putting his finger on. And uh, I know, you know, you talked uh, earlier uh, about with the children, and to have unconditional love for, say, a two-year-old that's just being a two-year-old and would otherwise drive you completely bonkers, and yet you uh, still love, well, that two-year-old turns into a teenager that may repeat the same cycle, and now this, this conditional love or unconditional love now gets confronted again within me, or the child then is an adult and may be repeating in a more adult um, frame. How will I respond? And so when, when it becomes someone that's very close, these are the places where it's a lot more subtle and God's revealing. You know, you said earlier on, Greg, in, in Philippians, you know, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, which is this being conformed into the likeness, into the image of Christ. And, you know, the, the start of that little, little chapter says, therefore, dear friends, and it comes off this whole uh, back of humility, this place, you know, that therefore you should have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. Didn't consider himself more highly, but made himself nothing. Didn't consider, you know, grasping divinity, let this go. And, uh, um, you know, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, so there's this place of walking and this obedience to what I know is this innate nature within me. He then says, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this holy fear and reverence, knowing it's not something I can do. And I've been taken by the image that's up on the screen up there. You know, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you. And the clay is put on the wheel and sort of shaped into the shape. But look what the thumbs are about to do. Where do they go? Right into the heart to now work on what's hiding within here and to shape us into a vessel, uh, a, a noble vessel, a vessel fit for him and for his purposes. It's a work that he's doing in us. And, you know, Father, if there's any other way let this cup pass from me, but there is no other way. So if there was another way and we didn't need, you know, we could just do it ourselves. There'd be no need for the Holy Spirit. There would be no need for Jesus to have done what he did. But there is no other way, and it's the divine work of the Spirit. Cool. Any, any other questions or comments? Things that have stirred people tonight? Can you guys share some um, like examples of times in, in your lives that this has played out, where you, you've seen this sort of happening? Uh, are you talking about the the call to love greater than what we're currently in? So I'll, I'll give um, an example because I did threaten to do that earlier. Um, so <laughs> so um, probably one of the most standout examples for me was... Um, uh, I won't say names, but um, I was in a, a family group conference with, um, and I have shared this before, but it was a while ago, with um, my daughter, um, parents, um, a social worker and a lawyer. And
and I'd been told for an extended period of time that visits and access or time that we would be sharing together would be reduced to being less than what it, what it was. And what turned up in this moment was the social worker that had been telling me that rather than meeting once every month, she said that we're only going to start meeting once every three months. And that's what I wanted. I was like, yep, naturally we want to step out of that and get on with our lives and that kind of thing. And she'd been saying that right up until this very meeting where she turns around and goes, I think that it's good that we keep it every month. And I was like, what? This isn't what I want. And so... Chris turned up and said, <laughs> and said, oh, this isn't what I want. This is, you said it was going to be this. It should be every month, uh, every, every three months. And she goes, no, I think, it, I think that it should be every month. And the lawyer said, I think it should be every, every month. And birth mum burst into tears and got up and left the room. And I said, well, it's not going to work because every time she comes back, she's distressed She's picked up by a social worker that she doesn't know, taken to meet people she doesn't know. It's not healthy. And the, the social worker looked at me and she said, the only way it's going to work is if you're the person that brings her to the visits. And I was like, oh. and I've just sat through other carers going, the worst thing you want to do is meet the birth family. The worst thing you want to do is spend time with them. They are this, they are this, they are this. Mm. And this is what my head's doing. And while I'm in the room confronted with this, this moment, mm. Holy Spirit goes, I know what you want to do, mm. but this is what I want you to do. I want you to say yes to this. Mm. And I was like, damn. <laughs> I was like, man, this is really clear. You know, and oftentimes when God speaks, it's not unclear. The challenge isn't, is that you, God? It's what are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? He's so good like that. And I was like, I know what I want to do, but I know what you want me to do. And so, you know, he's so good. Thank God he gave me the grace to say yes to that. I said, okay, you know, and and I knew I could have, I could have bucked it. I could have kicked against it. I could have. Chris could have got ugly, maybe dug his feet in and maybe had things different. And he just was like, I want you to say yes to this. And, you know, a few a while ago I shared, you know, I said uh, the statement that God spoke to me one time. He said, if you want to see something you've never seen, stand somewhere you've never stood. <laughs> and we know that that's true geographically. But it's true experientially for me because I said yes to something that I would have never said yes to. And my internal position is now a sight that I see from something that I never would have chosen for myself that I've grown into and I see completely differently for me. And I just, man, I'm, I'm so thankful to God that I said yes to that because the journey of what it is that it invites you into is so much greater than the journey that you would choose for yourself. My journey looks safe and boring. His journey looks dangerous, but it's, it's enlightening, it's encouraging. It, it not only brings life to me, but it touches the lives of those around me. And my capacity is greater. And it has a knock-on effect as well. And so... Death to me led, led to life for all of us. 
And what I would have chosen as life would have been absolute death. Yeah. And it's often, it's often been that way. It's often been the way where what he's inviting me into exposes me in, in, a, in, a, loving, in a loving way. You know? I I could I could and something that's very very close and very recent but because of the sensitivity to it I, I feel very cautious in how to how to speak about what I've walked through and how that's transpired, but suffice to say I know that in the midst of this, while there was persons that were raised up that were coming against me though the situation was not pleasant and not right and needed to be dealt with and was in this place of confrontation and um, you know how the Lord takes us by the hand at times and walks us with others and uh, and I remember remember that time sitting and cheering and talking with, with Sam and just, yeah, oh Lord, what is happening in this, you know? But I know what I know was in here. Now, what this was trying to get in the way, my thinking and, and clouding it, but I know it was in here that the, the heart attitude towards the people involved was not one of hatred and bitterness, which I know in the past would have been, I want my pound of flesh and I'm coming after you. And that that is a, a transformation because that that place would have been a fighting for my right or for for not even for my right but for my control. And that I know is a work that is done and being done through. You know the 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 reality for me has been a, a confrontation that's been set before me when I've heard a word that's been spoken that rings true and then I've seen testimony of that word actually lived out that makes the two a one posture. It goes, actually, that's real. That's not just a bunch of information that's right about the words in the Bible. That's actually real and it's, it's alive. I don't actually get that, but, man, it's getting me. That then walking through some of these experiences discover that actually this it's not just ink on a page this is a living word this is a person who's at work in my life and it's that's what makes this different um i feel like for me it's so it's quite hard to answer the question you know because it feels like it's not just i can i can pinpoint some key events but it's probably uh, an ongoing this is the sort of thing that happens every every day in every relationship really you know but in terms of some significant times i know there's a time for me when I had a young guy that was staying with us at our flat, a, a homeless guy that we had taken in, and um, a week had turned into two weeks, which had turned into two months, which turned into about four and a half months, and um, this guy was really um, difficult to deal with, and I think that 
um, what had happened was, you know, the um, the grace had worn quite quite thin. Fair enough. <laughs> With um, all of my flatmates who hadn't really signed up for it, or they signed up for a week, which turned out to be a lot longer, and so um, you know there was a real sense of um, you know frustration in the house, mostly directed towards me, which was probably rightfully um, you know um, fair enough, you know and. I remember this this guy was so full on and he was with me 100% of the day every day apart from when I was at work. So I'd walk with him to the train station and then we'd meet at the train station when we'd get home and I'd be with him all the way through until we got to bed. And previously my life had looked like I was working... I had just started a new job, but prior to then I had been working two days a week because I had wanted the rest of my time free to, you know, to spend time going for walks and in prayer. And so it had been a fantastic time of just being alone with God. And I had felt like this was real, really precious at the time. And I go from that to starting a new full-time job and having a full-time essentially caring role on top of that and then all of my people that I had lived with the frustration that I was having to deal with day in and day out because of the situation and I remember um, I didn't know what to do and I needed just a a day of respite and I don't know if it was Greg or Kirk or someone I talked to I just said I need to to get out of here so we came and stayed at at the rock (laughs) in the JC rock room because it was the only place I could stay to get away from the chaos you know and I remember at the time I I I was so upset and I was um I remember just being in tears and I felt like I was saying to God, I was like, God, you know, like, and the thing that I was most concerned about was that I wasn't being devoted to him because I had no time to spend with him because I had this person with me 100% of the time, all the time. And I I feel like I was, I, I remember in that moment, I was like, God, you know, like, I'm, I've said that I wanted to live for you, but I can't because of this person, you know? <laughs> And I remember the. I just remember I was up. I was upstairs on my mattress, you know, like with my like work clothes hanging up on this. <laughs> it was such a bizarre situation. I remember the, the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, you know, like I, I. It wasn't even words. It was just a sense of, if I could put it in words, it was. Why are you thinking about yourself? You know, like why? Why has this all become about you? You know, and I, I remember it was like him. In that moment, it was like a mirror was just brought right up to my heart, and he was saying, you know, that what was coming out of me was was not unconditional love. It was concern for my own well being and my even my own religious ability to live for God in the way that I thought that I needed to live for him, you know? And in that moment I feel like he, he brought to light in me and said, actually, what what does it what does it mean to have the capacity in me to love even when I'm not being loved in return, you know? And so uh, um that was a real defining moment of seeing actually it's not like it's not about what it means to live for God and what I'm doing for him it's about having love formed in me in the inside because maybe he wanted to do a deeper work in me through this situation than he did through my own religious devotion and and so it was a real yeah, defining 
defining moment of seeing actually this is about my transformation, not about my religious devotion, you know. Um, but he needed to bring me out of this place and into a situation like this. I'm seeing it in hindsight. It was so much of it was his mercy to be able to to break down some of those walls um, that only a situation like that could not because the situation did it but because there was an opportunity to receive from the Holy Spirit and hear about um, and, and receive a greater love in me that was more than what I knew at the time. So just one little, one little example. I'm just going to keep some. <laughs> cool. All right. Any last questions? Other than that, we might wrap it up for the night. greater we receive the revelation of love, fear ceases to exist because love is greater than fear. So just keep seeking, asking for more greater revelation of love and there's less fear. Perfect love casts it out. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love and a sound mind. And a spirit by which we cry out, Abba Father and knowing the Father I mean, intimately knowing him, not about him, but knowing him is receiving that love. And the consequence of that, knowing his love, is that fear's gone. And we're not focused on getting rid of the fear. The focus is on the knowledge of him. You know, it's, it's like filling the cup up. You, know, you, you recognize the cup's full. Yes, it's also no longer empty. The focus was not that it was empty, it's on him. Yeah? Cool. All right. Thanks, team. Have a great week, and uh, see you again soon.